Aristotle once said, in every act of doing, we are becoming. Every day, all of us make choices that shape and form us into the people that we are and the people that we are becoming. I'm your producer, Michael Moffat, and I want to welcome you to the Arete Way, a podcast dedicated to helping you become excellent in all that you do. Our hosts today are Walter and Stacy Nussbaum. Welcome to the Arete Way. I'm Walter Nussbaum. I'm with my wonderful wife, Stacy. And uh, we are here to talk to you about a very exciting topic today. Stacey, how's it going? Great. <laughs> you know, a few years ago, I had the privilege of writing my first book. You saw me uh, just struggling through it and just trying to put it together. Mm-hmm. And it was a model that I, that I put mm-hmm. together. And it was called the Victory Model. It's a great model. Yeah, it's a very cool model. It's very practical, very helpful. And, uh, I, you know, I was asked uh, a number of years ago if I'd speak at this luncheon. And um, I said, well, what do you want me to speak about? And they said, you know, you kind of worked with a lot of different people, a lot of different companies and leaders. Uh, Why don't you give us a talk on the traits that you have felt like have been the most common traits of the most successful people that you've worked with? And I thought, you know, in all the times that I've spoken, that's a talk I literally have never given. And uh, it's a little bit like a book that you and I both love and appreciate, sold, I think, 30 million copies but Stephen Covey's famous mm-hmm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective mm-hmm. People. And, uh, and so as I began to work on this, I began writing down the names of, of all the people that I knew that I considered to be really exemplary people, people that have stood out in certain ways in different areas of life. And I wrote uh, two words next to each of their names that I would most describe uh, them by. And I took all of those words. I remember I had 48 names of people. And, and which gave me 96 words. And I remember the only thing I kind of forced was I wanted to see if I could come up with seven categories. And I did, I came up with them and, and, uh, and I wanted uh, to put them in some sort of mnemonic device so people could remember it, you know? Mm-hmm. Here I am about to give a criticism of a book that sold 30 million copies. But, you know, how good are the seven habits, right? You've loved that book, haven't you? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a great book. I, I've read it several times, but... To this day, I can't tell you all seven of them. I just can't remember them. You probably can, but I can't remember all of them. Well, and that's the problem, right? Now, it's not that you don't actually interact with those seven habits. You do, actually. But in terms of what is actually the habit, um, I would have loved for um, Stephen Covey to have put those seven habits in some sort of mnemonic device so people could remember them because it's that good of a book. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to sell probably 30 million copies of my book. Maybe I will. But I wanted to put it in some sort of a device that was easy to remember. And so it spells victory. And each one of these letters is, is an acronym for a trait. And, uh, and in the book, I love this. I remember Sarah Mathewson. She was, uh, she was my mm-hmm. editor and designer for the book. She's awesome. She Shout out to Sarah. Job. She did a great job. She came up with this idea. And remember on the book, it says, the title is, Do You Have What It Takes? But what she did is she faded out the word do. And it looks like you have what it takes. And the reason we did that is because uh, people do have what it takes. Mm-hmm. But what gets in the way a lot of times is their own self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Would you, would you say that in your life, doubt of yourself has played a role in hindering you at times? Sure, sure. It's kind of the thing that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks or the last couple of podcasts. Um, I think just self-doubt is one of the biggest impediments for me and for a lot of people. Um, you just don't think you can. Um, so you, you in fact, do have what it takes. It's just finding 
finding that place within you, finding the strength from other people, the encouragement, the tools, being proactive and, and uh, realizing that it is there. It's just sometimes hard to find. Yeah. Think about how many ideas people have had mm-hmm. and they said, gosh, you know what I'd love to do? And, and all those ideas and dreams uh, go to the grave. Mm-hmm. So many have never seen the light of day because people have never acted on them. And a lot of times it's because of doubt. What mm-hmm. if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. What if I fail? What will people think? What if mm-hmm. I lose my money? Mm-hmm. All these things. And it's just, I mean, literally probably in the hundreds of millions of ideas that have never seen the light of day because people doubt whether they have the ability to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, a, a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like, okay, do we want to spend the money? Do we want to take our time? Do we, do we want to invest in this? Well, what if nobody listens? What if no one pays attention? What if it mm-hmm. looks stupid? What if we mess up? What if all these things can pop into your head? But the reality is you either need to just do it and see what happens, or it's just nothing but a dream, mm-hmm. right? So it's just a wish. And, and that's what the V in victory stands for. V is vision, right? And vision is this constantly recurring image that drives one's passion and commitment to achieve something. It's a constantly recurring image. So th- think about it for a, for a minute, just as a mom, would you say that you constantly think about your children just as a mom over the years? Mm-hmm. Are your kids on your mind all the time? Mm-hmm. And, and what are. do you think about? They are. I think about their safety. I think about their future. I think about their spouses, their future spouses, uh, a number of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And does it drive your passion to want to serve and help mm-hmm. your children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And does it drive your commitment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, because a mom is a great example of a visionary. Moms are visionaries because they think about their children all the time. How can I love and support and nurture my children? And it drives their passion and their commitment to achieve it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in business. That's what happens in life. And someone has a vision, not a dream, not a wish, but a real vision. This is somebody who can't stop thinking about it. It's constantly recurring in their mind and it drives their passion and their commitment to achieve something. And how you think means everything, doesn't it? So share with us some of your, your rituals that you've had for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that um, have allowed you to um, fulfill kind of the vision that you've had about certain things. Yeah. You know, one of them, uh, as silly as it sounds, it's a little bit kind of embarrassing to even talk about because I, a number of years ago when I was in high school, my senior year, I had the fortune of having a tennis coach that was doing his PhD in sports psychology and he introduced me to this concept in sports at the time called imagery. And he would tell me, Walter, when you go to bed at night, as you're falling asleep, think about yourself playing a tennis match. Watch yourself hitting forehands and backhands and playing a match and being in the rally and coming to the net. And he would tell me, watch yourself, imagine yourself at night as you're going to sleep doing that. And I began to do that. And this, what I call ritual of thought, became a part of my life ever since then. And I've been, I, till this day, if I've got a presentation that I've got to give, if I'm going to keynote a presentation, if I'm going to give a, a big training or something, I, at night, for about a week out, will spend the, the about 10 minutes in my head watching myself do it, watching myself walking up to the stage, watching myself looking at the crowd, seeing faces, watching the first words out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And I practice this visualization 
because because how you see it and how you dwell on it a lot of times is how you'll do it. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fundamental principle that we just accept in sports today. No one really thinks that's new um, uh, new knowledge because it's been around for a while. But it was breakthrough in the early to mid '80s mm-hmm. when people began to talk about that. And so today, I get to decide what I think about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at night, what a great opportunity to just to dwell on what you want and see it and envision it and make it constantly recurring. Mm-hmm. And I think you've said that because you've done that so many times over and over again in your head, you've envisioned it that when you actually get to that space, that it feels like you've done it, you've already done it. So it's more comfortable Yeah, and you feel more prepared. I feel a lot more prepared. Mm-hmm. And it's something that to me, when I walk up, it's like I've been there already. You know, and I'll make that joke sometimes. I've walked up to give a presentation and I'll say, it's good to see you guys. Uh, I feel like this is, you know, the sixth time I've done this because it yeah. has been. Yeah. Because in my head, I've already done it five at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a powerful thing. And there's a really great model I love to use. Um, a, a guy named Michel Chevreul was a French, uh, I believe he was a French psychologist back in the 19th century. And he had this thing, it's called Chevreul's Pendulum. Anybody can look it up. It's really fascinating. It's a neat little exercise that I do. Um, I actually got this from uh, Dr. Blake Leith. He had uh, he had written about this, and I thought, how fascinating. And in this, it's, a, it's like a little pendulum. We've done this with our kids, right? And, you know, you put a washer on a piece of thread or a string, and all you do is you set it, you hold your hand perfectly still, and all you have to do is begin saying or thinking the direction that you want that pendulum to move without moving your hand, and it will suddenly begin moving in that direction. And the reason is because as much as you try to hold your hand still, when you're thinking about left, right, left, right, or round and round and round, your body will naturally begin to acclimate to what you say and what you think. Right, which really it reveals kind of the mind-body connection, that mm. your body is responding to your mind, as much as you try to control it, you can't. That's right. We've done yeah. it. The kids have done it. I've done it. It's, it's a little creepy. But it's kind of creepy, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's real. It does happen. Yeah, you can't see it at this level because your hand is fairly still. But the movement is so small right here. But at the bottom of the string or the thread, you begin to see it moving in the direction mm-hmm. that you're talking. And this is a lot like, for instance, uh, is, I mean, Stacey, you're a nurse. Is it possible for a person to think themselves to physical illness. Yes, I believe it is. Yeah. I, I believe there's something to be said about psychosomatic illness. Um, I've seen it in my own family mm. and I've seen it in other people. And uh, yeah, I think there's some real truth to that. Um, it doesn't mean that the pain isn't real. I think it is real, but the origin of it can be the mind. Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes is, I mean, mm. You can get an ulcer. You can get a physical ulcer from the way that you mentally think about stress, which we talked about last time, right? You can actually, through a me- and that's amazing, through mental prognostications, I think that's a word, <laughs> through mental ruminating, you can create a physical anomaly or physical problem in the body. As re- right. That's the power of the mind-body connection. So that's vision. Vision is the ability to see something in your mind and to see it with such clarity and such regularity that it begins to drive your passion and commitment to achieve it. 
And it's amazing how the brain begins to work for you. Look, you have had this love for Jeeps for a long time. Isn't that funny when you first said to yourself, oh my gosh, I love these new Jeeps. What did you begin to see everywhere? Jeeps are everywhere. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when initially you thought you saw them every once yeah. in a while, suddenly the Jeeps are everywhere. Right. Including the two you know, neighbors that we have <laughs> that have Jeeps. And that's how the brain works. The brain's yeah. always there helping us to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So number one, what I try to challenge people to do on vision is ask themselves, what outcome do you want badly? What do you want for your marriage, right? What do you want to be as a parent? Mm -hmm. Financially, what, what, what type of financial life, what does financial independence look to you? What's it, what's it look like to you? Mm -hmm. you know, how about your fitness and your health? All of these things are areas you can have a vision for your life. Kind of, kind of like your why, really recognizing mm. or, or um, defining what your why is yeah. in whatever area it is, area that it's in your life and, and writing it down. And um, a friend of mine the other day said, remember to write down your why and look at it. Keep looking at it because mm. if you keep focusing on vision or what your why is, then you'll remember why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you don't keep side of that, then we all get distracted. We all kind of lose sight of what it really is that our vision is. Mm. Don't you agree? Yeah. For me, I think it's important to keep looking back to that. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because we kind of, you know, get low on gas and we need to refuel. Yeah, it's great. That's a great point. It's easy to walk away from something, isn't it? It's easy to, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's a model that comes out of Seth Godin's book, The Dip. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've seen this, right? The dip is where Godin talks about anytime you're starting something new, you will almost always see immediate gain. You know, I don't play the guitar, but if our producer, who's a music uh, teacher, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he, can, he could teach me the guitar, right? Michael could teach mm -hmm. me the guitar. And on my first day, I would learn some things. He would teach me how to hold the guitar, mm -hmm. right? He would teach me, Michael, you'd probably teach me the chords on the first day, right? Yeah, Michael could teach me the chords on the first day. He would teach me how to, how, how to hold a pick, how to strum. All of these things I would learn very quickly. Now, I am far from playing the guitar, but what I'm learning is, 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 is uh, increasing quickly. But there will come very soon a dip. And the first dip now is going to be the real challenge of the next level of skill. And you always will go into a dip before you come back to the next level. And what happens is, Godin says, and I think he's exactly right, is most people quit in the dip and they walk away. How many people have started guitar or piano and walked away and quit? Mm -hmm. Have you Have you ever started mm -hmm, something piano. and then walked mm -hmm. away because mm -hmm. it just the effort was too much for what you wanted to do? Yeah, you kind of lose focus and you think, ah, oh, that's too hard. I'm not going to do that after all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, how many people yeah. have tried to say, you know what, I'm going to learn Spanish? I'm going to pick up French. I'm going to learn a language. Mm -hmm. They begin learning some vocabulary, and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. They begin learning maybe some basic verb forms. But all of a sudden, they realize to translate that into conversation, to listen to somebody and to, and to understand what they're saying becomes difficult, a lot more work. Suddenly, there's the dip. And what do they do? Mm -hmm. They quit. Mm -hmm. They walk away, and all of a sudden, they never picked up that language. They never learned that dance that, right. they, that they wanted to learn how to dance. And, and so vision is when your why is that big, like you're saying, it's your why, it's your vision that gets, gets you, you through the dip. Gets you through the dip. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you have a real reason to endure mm -hmm. and be committed to it. Mm -hmm. 
And so that leads now to the eye, right? And, and this is where I think you, you shine. It's one of the things I honestly, I admire about you the most. You know, I stands for initiative, right? Initiative. Taking initiative means taking that first step, making it happen. You know, have you, have you in all honesty, have you always, because since I've known you, you just seem like somebody who just always is biased towards action. You just seem like you <laughs> just, always. you never just sit around. You're always doing something. Is, has that always been just a feature of how you've done life? Well, I think there's a difference between staying busy and taking initiative. I'm real good at staying busy, mm-hmm. um, but I've had to really grow in the area of taking initiative. Um, and because uh, my tendency is to procrastinate and I put things off until I absolutely have to do them at times. Um, so again, I think that, um, I think it's an area that I have grown in much and in, in part to your encouragement. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're a uh, big proponent, obviously, of pushing me to do the thing that I don't think I can do in so many different areas. Um, and so maybe just over time, seeing the payoff and, and taking initiative has, yeah. has propelled me to, to want to do it more. Yeah. And, I, and I love to learn and grow, and I, I always want to challenge myself. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly I've had my share of the dips yeah. and giving up mm-hmm. and you look back and you learn from those experiences for sure. Well, I think you're right. It's the early payoffs that get us, that give us the motivation to keep going, but mm-hmm. the dips coming, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The dip actually is the letter C. The, the dip is, is the word C is for character because hard days are coming. Setbacks are coming, aren't they? You know, look, take anything that you and I have ever done that we feel has been one of our accomplishments, and there have been major obstacles in the way, right? Starting my business, trying to build a client base, trying to do more keynote speaking, writing writing my first book, you doing an Ironman distance race, uh, you doing public speaking, right? You applying for graduate school and getting in and going through all the work you had to do to get in, to, to get accepted. But then I went through the dip. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. Yes. But my point though is those hard moments are coming. Mm-hmm. Does every marriage have a dip? Sure. Sure it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Parenting has a dip. Mm-hmm. Maintaining your health will have its dips. So these dips that are there mm-hmm. require character. And one of the things I found is fascinating about character, character, like for instance, in Hebrew, it's the, the word that's translated as character in Hebrew is the word kail. And, and that word means strength or power. And the connection is that, that a person of character has the strength to do the hard thing when the easy thing is available. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's coming. So talk about that. You're one of your favorite quotes that you always quote, quote to Cooper. Yeah. Your son. Yeah, my son Cooper. I've told Cooper many times, and he's got this. He's got this quote down. I tell him, Cooper, the hard road will always become the easy road, mm-hmm. but the easy road will always become the hard road. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you want to take the easy road now, it will become the hard mm-hmm. road. But if you take the hard road. Over time, it will become the easy road if you do the hard thing first. It's a basic principle mm-hmm. of life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So we have a, a, a person that was a mentor and a dear friend of ours, one of the greatest therapists that we ever knew. And uh, I remember Mark saying to me one time, Walter, if people could take on this principle of life, 
when confronted by two choices, taking the harder the heart of the two choices will, will almost always be the better choice. Yeah. That principle would be revolutionary in life. Yeah. Right? What's harder for me? And if I can begin living the harder road, that's the Arete way. If I can pursue the path of excellence, that's that's Arete, not accuracy. We talked about that in our first podcast. Mm-hmm. Not the easy road, but if I can take the higher road that's more challenging, that path over time will lead to the rewards mm-hmm. that I'm looking for in life. Taking the hard road when the easier one is available. Yeah. Easier said than done. But easier said than done. Do you right. think it's fair to say, too, that sometimes we see people that have achieved great success in their life and we think maybe it's been easy for them? Mm. And so um, we kind of adopt this mentality of, well, good for them. But we don't really realize that we don't get to see the dips that they went through. We don't really get to see the hard work that was put in and maybe the times of great discouragement that they overcame. All we see is is the victory. And I think it's easy to be judgy about that. No doubt about Um, it. Just to remember that, you know, those people had their real tough times as well and they pushed through and yeah. It can be a real encouragement um, to hear those stories. You know, when you and I were uh, working again with our awesome producer, Michael, and Michael was creating uh, this, our little song for our podcast, and you and I heard his work for the first time, mm-hmm. and we went and watched him. We saw him on Facebook playing some stuff on mm-hmm. his guitar, watching just how, how easy it looks, mm-hmm. right? how simple it looks for him. For him, he makes it look so easy and it's deceptive because you mm-hmm. you just think, I want to be able to do that. But the reality is, what's it going to take for me, if anything, to be able to do that? Mm-hmm. Hours and hours and years of practice. You know, when I go play tennis, it's easy for someone who's not a tennis player to say, I want to hit the ball like that. Right, And I'm not the greatest player in the world. I'm a good player. I'm not a great player, but I'm good enough that when somebody looks at me, I can make tennis look easy easy because I've done it for so long that it looks effortless. But the reality is there were so many dips along the way mm-hmm. as I was beginning to try to master the sport of tennis with all of the, 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 the challenges, the setbacks, the failures, the times I wanted to quit, and yet sticking with it mm-hmm. has allowed me to have a sport that I can play all of my life. Right? And you're no different. And all of us have areas that we've mastered or approached it, and it's had a lot of dips along the way. Mm-hmm. So character is the ability to endure it. It's not walking away from difficulty. And this is true from in, in anything. There's a lot of relationships a lot, a lot of times that face mm-hmm. these dips that people are confronted with a choice, and that is, how am I going to get through this? Am I going to have the character to try to grow and learn through this to become stronger and have a better intimate relationship, Mm -hmm. which now leads to the T. So what do we have? We've got vision, we've got initiative, we've got character. What's the T? Time management. (laughs) Time management. That's a tough one. That's a tough (laughs) one. That's a tough one. And you know, you and I talk about time management all the time. Time Mm -hmm. management is learning to live in the space of the most important things. So for you, for instance, Stacey, just, you know, think about it. I know this is catching you, you know, uh, off the top of your head. If you had to list, let's say, the four or five most important things in your life, what would they be right now? Just off the top of your head, what would you say the four 
or five most important things in your life are? Uh, I think first and foremost, my, my spiritual life, my relationship with God, just my time, just to kind of refuel every okay. day is, is critical for me. Um, time with my family, with you, with the kids. Um, relationship, friendship is really important to me. Um, and then just getting out and being um, active in some way. You know, just taking care of my physical body. Yeah, yeah. So here are like right off the top of your head four things. And you could probably even break up family in terms of being a wife and being a mom, Mm -hmm. right? Two very different um, responsibilities for you, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at those things and you you say, okay, if these are the five things that are most important in my life and you had to grade yourself in those, Mm -hmm. the way you would get A's is that you spend your time investing in all of those things on a consistent basis. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's people who would say, for instance, their health is in the top five or should be in the top five, but they don't take care of themselves. And so they might give themselves a C or a D on their health. But the reason is because they're not necessarily investing in it the way that they probably know that they should or ought to. Isn't that true? Right. And this is a great exercise for people to do. Asking yourself, What are my top four or five things that are most important in my life? And how effectively do I spend time Mm -hmm. building into each one of those, Mm -hmm. even when I don't feel like it, Mm -hmm. even when there's dips, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is now where character comes in because your character, your strength is what now allows you to do that. I mean, yesterday, my goodness, you and I, it was five o'clock in the, 5.30 in the afternoon. We did not want to work out yesterday, (laughs) did we? We did, but not really. <laughs> but not really. <laughs> we were we tired were, and hungry. We were tired and, ready and hungry. ready to have dinner, but we it's, knew that it's something that's really important to us. So we help each other to get yeah. out there and do it. So we found yeah. this 20-minute workout that our our local crew, CrossFit, yeah. CrossFit team does. And we said, oh, here's, it's only 20 minutes. <laughs> it was this, hard. It was hard, <laughs> man. We were like, within about eight minutes, we were sweating bullets yeah. in the garage. The reality is we did it for one reason. That is, if we would have avoided it and gone around it, we would have allowed what we feel to dictate what we want. And would you agree that that really is one of the great nemesis in people's lives mm-hmm. is they allow what they feel to dictate what they do? Absolutely. We, we say we want certain things in our lives, but we don't do what's necessary in order to make them first priority. And sometimes that's hard, but, you know, sometimes it means saying no. It means really being proactive about how you kind of structure your day. You know, for us, not every day, but most days, it's just, it's part of who we are. It's part of our lifestyle. And so we we make sure that we put that at the top of the list. Um, But, you know, could we let our feelings of wanting to go to dinner and just relax overtake? Sure. And there's times that that's appropriate. But, you know, for us, it's become just a way of life. Yeah, that's it. It's a way of life. And it's taken a while to develop that, right? And this, again, this is why we call it the Arate way. That's the podcast. It's the the way of pursuing excellence as best we can. Now, are there times that we fail miserably? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. But as a way of life, we continue to get back on that path and continue to strive to try to get there as best we can. But it kind of goes back to the beginning, to vision. You know, our vision is to live a healthy lifestyle. It's one of our core values. And so because that's our vision, it becomes most important. 
our marriage becomes most important. Our investing in our children is most important. Yeah. Our health is most important in our vision. Right. Can you agree? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, th- does it, doesn't this translate to business too? Business and impact your why in life. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going through a lot, obviously, as a, as, a, as a country right now through COVID-19. Businesses are shut down. My business, um, our business has been impeded mm-hmm. significantly. And yet during this time, we said, you know what? We want to continue to invest. We want to start this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to um, invest our time and resources and mm-hmm. because we want to help people. You know, our mission, our why, as best we can, is to invest in others just as we've been invested in by others mm-hmm. and to give other people some uh, encouragement and some tools mm-hmm. that might help them along the way have the best professional and personal lives that they can have, mm-hmm. right? So that's time management. But man, what a, what a huge piece of success is being able to learn to live in the space of the most important things. But now, you, now we've got O, oh, right? It's your favorite word, right? Optimism, my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growing, I'm when growing. You, what, what, is, what is optimism? As you think about an optimistic person, what does that mean to you? In all honesty, because I know you always talk about how that hasn't been your strong suit, though you're growing. What does it mean to you when you see somebody who's optimistic? When I think about optimism, I think about not the absence of challenge or struggle or stress, but the ability to see through that and see the positive in spite of it. Mm. To me, that's optimism and something that I continue to try to grow in. And you've been a great example. You probably are the most optimistic person I've ever had the privilege of knowing. Mm. And you've rubbed off on me, but certainly I'm, I tend to be on the pessimistic side. And so it's something I have to constantly work at of seeing you know, the positive bent, not naturally the negative. Yeah, yeah. And even though you might call it pessimistic, which maybe it is at that sometimes, you're just a, um, you're, a, you're just a very much a what if person, you know, yeah. what if this happens and what if this happens? Which drives you how, nuts. Yeah. How many times have I sitting across the table over dinner, I throw out another idea about, Hey, I'm thinking about this and this is, and then immediately, what do you say? Well, how's that going to work? Yeah. <laughs> what if, when you want me to say, that's a great idea, honey. Right. Yeah. And, and I've said that to you, right? I've said, can't you just start off by saying, oh, I love, I think that could be a great idea. I love that. I could totally see why you would want to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've said that to you. I need you to help champion my initial vision, mm-hmm. but your natural gift, and I call it a gift, is to look immediately at, well, what are the obstacles we're going to have to face? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What are the things, character, we're going to have to, the dips we're going to have to go through. So let's talk about those right away. Right. And, and, and I don't want to talk about those things. Okay. I want to talk about, yeah, but look at the, look at what this could look like, right? Look how amazing this could be. So, you know, starting a, starting a podcast like this is going to have its dips. You know, we're going to obviously be tweaking and retweaking, retweaking, retweeting, (laughs) retweaking um, things. And, and thankfully we have somebody that's very capable that's going to help us to kind of work through those issues and those details. But, you know, we're committed. We have a vision for this in terms of what we want to try to do. But optimism is the key. You and I would not be sitting here right now if we did not have the optimism to believe that great things could come from producing 
valuable content for people. Mm-hmm. And that's true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I thoroughly believe that. And that's a key, right? We know, you know, Martin Seligman, one of the great researchers in positive psychology, Martin Seligman talks about this idea, optimism breeds resilience. It allows yeah, a person really to get out of bed. Say that again. Optimism <laughs> breeds resilience. Because I have a reason to get up because I believe in what the future can still look like. Yeah. Right. And that's powerful when you begin to think yeah. about it. Right. Optimism is not sticking my head in the sand to reality. That's what you were saying. It's not sticking your head in the sand and denying yeah. the challenges. It's seeing reality for what it is, but still seeing how it can it can become. This reminds me of the conversation we had last night at the table about blind faith. We were having a discussion about what does it really mean to have blind faith. And uh, it makes me think of that. It's uh, the idea of moving forward, not knowing what what you're stepping into or not knowing what the outcome is going to be, but still being willing to move forward even when you can't really see. And it's incredibly scary. Mm. That to me is optimism because, you know, life is tough. And and some people are going through uh, some really tough times or we've lost loved ones. You know, tragedies occur every day. But being able to keep stepping forward with hope, I guess, and um, a blind faith in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that life is such that it's just it's really never too late to get on that path. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get time back, so you have less of it, but you still always have the opportunity to get on the path to um, achieve some hopes and dreams you had. You know, I write about in the book, uh, Nola Oaks, who's now passed away, but she was the oldest undergraduate and master's degree graduate in the country. I think she graduated her undergraduate at (laughs) 95 years of age. And then she finished her master's degree, I wanna say at 98 or 99. And then I think she got a job as like a cruise, uh, she was a presenter, She, she just told history on these cruises. And here's a woman who after her husband passed, she said, I've always wanted to go back and finish my degree, right? Yeah. That's a vision. And she took initiative yeah. and she had the character to do it. And she spent her time focusing on it. And she had the optimism mm-hmm. to believe that she had the capacity at 95 years of age to finish college. How inspiring. Isn't that inspiring? It makes me think of that saying, um, you're never too, it's never too late to be who you're meant to be. Mm. You know, how powerful is that? And it's so true. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, really in life, I think one of the saddest things to see is a person who looks back in the rearview mirror and is filled with regrets. And they've got to realize that, that whatever time they have left, they can get off of that path. And they can get onto the path. It's the Arate path, the path of excellence, and begin just one day at a time, little micro goals, micro steps. They just got to know what it is that they want, right? This leads now to R. All right, what is the R? So actually, I think one of your greatest strengths. Relationship or relational. Yeah, relational, relational skills. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and what is at the heart of this? When we talk about relational skills, what is at the heart of people who are great with relationships? What do they do well? Uh, they take interest. Mm. They ask questions. Um, they go past the surface. They seek to understand other people, mm. um, they take the time to remember things that matter to yeah. that person. Yeah. You used the word um, not long ago. You said, I remember you said they're curious. 
There's a real curiosity with people who have great relational skills because they just want to know, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. And they really know how to ask multiple questions to try to get a deeper understanding. They're great Mm -hmm. at probing, Mm -hmm. right? And seeking to understand other people. And this is, this is a powerful skill. You know, if you want to be successful in your professional life, people, frankly, have got to enjoy being around you. Isn't that true? I mean, we've all worked around and with people that people just don't enjoy being around. Yeah, you call them porcupines. They're porcupines. Yeah, we all know them. Yes, we do. They just poke people. <laughs> maybe we've people. been them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they've got to work on it, right? You and I have a model that we've taught for many years, right? We've taught social styles. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great ones out there. Social styles is one that we've taught. And basically, it's a behavioral model that shows these four dominant behavioral types of people. And it helps us to understand Mm -hmm. why people are the way they are. But it's not really what style you are that matters in that model. What is the most important part of that model? It's your ability to be versatile. You know, some things are easier for some than others. You know, some are more social, some are more introverted. And, you know, that's how we are created. And I think that's okay. But it's it's being willing to grow and to be versatile so that you can now adapt uh, to other people that you're interacting with um, and recognizing how can I make that person more comfortable yeah. rather than focusing on what makes me comfortable. Right. And sometimes that requires getting uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it always requires getting uncomfortable. In fact, the more versatile you are, probably the more uncomfortable you are at times. But yeah. if you think about that person that you love to be around and that's just great with everyone, think of that person and it's highly likely that they're very versatile and that's why they're able to do that. Right. Yeah. No doubt about it. When you meet a highly versatile person, it's really fun to watch. Mm -hmm. You know, they have the ability to sit still and focus for long periods of time. They also have the ability to socialize and go out with people and have a good time. They have the ability to make decisions quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, they have an ability to show empathy and care for people. They can just move all through that model, all through that, those quadrants, Mm -hmm whenever they need it's situational awareness Mm -hmm. and situational leadership right that's what we talk about and man it's a powerful skill and i bet if you were to ask that person why did they do that they would probably say it comes from a core belief system of i want to be effective with people right because we've all been around that person that says you know this is just how i am Mm. it's just you know it's just who i am and and there's an unwillingness to change but there's also kind of a real self-focus you know they don't care to change right Right. And that person can be difficult to be with at times. Right. Um, so it, it, it is neat to see that person that you almost can't identify their style because they're so versatile. Yeah, that's a great point. In fact, for that person who has a very dominant style that maybe it, it has its limitations and they know it, they're even aware of it. When they try to change and they realize how difficult it is for them, that's their what? Dip. That's their dip. <laughs> yeah. And you see them say, you know what? I'm not going to do this. This is just who I am take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Sadly, a lot of people leave it because people respect and admire the versatile person. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the book, I call uh, relational skills the DNA of life. Mm-hmm. It's the part of life that makes life alive. It's human beings in relationships. It's not running around trying to make everybody like you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's running around trying to, as best you can, be situational and adapt yourself as best you can so that you're more effective Mm -hmm. with the different people in your life. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the R. So we got one letter left. We got, we got the Y, right? And what does the Y stand for? Yearning. Yearning Yearning for more. That's it. 
And when you think about yearning, what is yearning? I think just the the desire to 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 want more, the desire to live more fully, the desire mm-hmm. to um, to grow as a person, uh, to be shaped and molded and improved and challenged and just longing for for something better. Yeah, yeah. I call it the fire in the belly. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, we talked about this in our very first podcast, but you had to have yearning and fire in the belly to do that Ironman distance race you did, didn't you? I mean, weren't there yeah. times that you said, why am I doing this? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said mm-hmm. that many times. Mm-hmm. When you began doing training um, in front of groups of people, the anxiety that you would feel sometimes, you would say, why am I doing this? You've mm-hmm. said that to me. Why am I doing this? <laughs> but there was a passion in you that said, I want to do this because I want to be the best that I can be. And you, and you, and you made yourself face it. Yeah, I think for me, it's I I didn't want to give up because I've experienced so much failure in my life where I have given up mm. and I've let the dip kind of just take me down for a time. And so for me, there's a greater passion and and um, desire to to not give up because I don't want to face that again. Doesn't mean I won't, but you know, I think that my my uh, motivation was strengthened because mm. of the times I have failed. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, what's great about this model is this applies for individuals. This also applies for groups, you know, organizational cultures that take on what I call the victory culture. Mm-hmm. It's a culture that embraces as a group vision. They know why they exist. Mm-hmm. They know why they get up every day. They know why they go to work every day. And it's a group that... Mm-hmm takes action. They take initiative. They don't just sit back waiting to be told what to do. They take the action. Mm-hmm. And they are a group of people who have the character, the strength to do the hard thing. And think about it, right? We've all, we've all worked in groups and teams that mm-hmm. hard conversations sometimes are required. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. And what is so easy to do whenever you're confronted by a hard conversation? Just avoid it. And things remain unhealthy. The culture remains unhealthy because people don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stacey, I've done this. I, there's been times I wanted to have a more honest conversation with somebody and I'm in it and I soften it. Including me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it happens. Sure. Sure. We all do that. Yeah. We don't want to. What, what Kim Scott's really great book, Radical Candor. Yeah. Right. We don't, we don't practice radical candor and have that conversation to the root so that there's absolute clarity about what the issue is so that we are on the same page, right? And when you don't do that, what's the consequence? There is a consequence of not doing that. We've both experienced that. Yes, right? yeah, right. yeah. Things don't get better. Yeah. Or, and resentment yeah. grows. Or they worsen. Or they worsen. And, and relationships change. Right. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, so organizations that have this culture of character, the strength to do the hard thing, right? Optimistic cultures. I love it. I've worked in companies where I will work on multiple floors and I will go on one floor and I can feel the heaviness of that culture on that floor. And I'll go to another floor and there's just a, a levity. There's a joy. There's an optimism on that floor. Yeah. And you can literally feel optimism within an organizational culture. Uh, relational skills. There's some organizational cultures that relationships are everything. And for others, relationships are, are secondary. It's about getting the job done. And you can, again, feel the difference in that kind of a culture. 
Then obviously yearning. How passionate are people about doing what they do? Right? Do they love what they do? And when you find an organizational culture that embodies these seven traits, look it's, out. Yeah, it's refreshing. And it's not, it's hard to find, I think. Um, I've worked in uh, departments that uh, it was a, a truly toxic culture and there was no trust and no real leadership and no radical candor. And it was um, like a cancer mm. and it affected everyone. And uh, recently, um, I had an interview actually, and the manager shared with me that her um, leadership style was um, uh, um, what am I trying? What's what's the word I'm looking for? Servant leadership. Servant leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Servant leadership is kind of her model that she follows, mm. and uh, it was evident just being around the team and seeing the way they work together. Um, kind of the no tolerance rules for backstabbing and talking. Mm. You know, they go directly to each other if they have an issue. And um, and you can tell that this team works really well together. But, you know, to me, it comes down from the from the manager because it's a it's a cultural philosophy that she's adopted and it downflows into the employees mm. and it works because her mission is to make others better. What and, a refreshing and, place to work. Yeah. Right. So pretty neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People look forward to going there because they're respected as people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Culture is so powerful. You know, it's a culture literally is everything mm -hmm. when it comes to organizational success. So this model, obviously, it applies to organizational cultures. It applies to individuals in terms of what they want. Uh, it applies to marriage. It applies to parenting. Any area of life, these seven traits are essential. And so, you know, I challenge people all the time, you know, as they read through the book, as they work through the model, to ask themselves, what do these seven traits look like in your company, in your, at your home, mm -hmm. in your life as an individual? And to the degree that we embody these traits and develop these traits is the degree to which we will see the rewards and the outcomes that we want in life. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I was just so excited to, to talk about this model, to, um, to share it with our, you know, the podcast audience out there, just to give them just another tool as they think through growing and developing. So, so we hope you guys enjoyed today's show on the Victory Model. Uh, really hope you guys will take the time to think through these seven traits. You know, go back, watch this podcast again. If you need to write down the traits, really do an evaluation of the different areas of your life. I promise you, if you do that and you seek to embody these traits, you will find incredible rewards and outcomes that result from these seven traits. We're going to be with you guys again in a couple of weeks. We're excited about it. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys soon.